0: Just jump on our website, empowerchurch.co, and all the details are there. We really hope that you enjoy the message. Man, what a great presence of God this morning, right? Wow. So good. Who loves to see God heal people? Yes. Right? Who knows that we serve a God who heals? Yes. Right? Right? The beauty of the prophetic and the beauty of healing is that it showcases God seeing us, right? So during worship, um, God gave me a couple words of knowledge and if that's you, I'm just gonna read out some stuff. If that's you, just stand up and then Ramo will lead you in a prayer and we're gonna see what God does. Everybody down for that? Okay, all right. So one of the first things that I heard was pulmonary issues. Pulmonary issues. Do you know what pulmonary issues are? I had to Google it because I was like pulmonary issues. So here's the here's the list. Well, I mean, I I need to get the list, guys. Come on. Um, Asthma, collapse of a part of your lung, swelling and inflammation in the main passages or your bronchial tubes. um, COPD, lung cancer, lung infection or an abnormal buildup of fluid in the lungs. If that's you, stand up. All right. And then I heard nerve issues. This was really specific. Nerve issues. I had a picture of someone touching skin. And when they touch the skin, the the pain that you felt, it was so acute and so specific. It was like, it was just very, very, very intense pain when you touch your skin. Is that anyone? A nerve issue that you, when you touch your skin, it's really intense, causes a lot of pain. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we don't. Or you're that person's like, that's me. And you never stood up. And then you come to me after. Okay. Love that one. Okay. This is, I, I I saw a left hip out of alignment, a left hip. And I felt like the Lord gave me some more on it, but it was as if you just had hip surgery, but the pain that you like the doctor said, you're not going to have pain, but it has continued. And you're like, what the heck? Is that anybody? It can be your right hip too. I'll take a right hip too. And though I said left hip, I'll take a right hip. Okay, we'll take that, all right. And then I really sense God really wanted to break an intense loneliness. If you're suffering from a really intense loneliness, and maybe this is actually hard for you to be like, oh my gosh, you just called it out. But God wants to break that off you. Like if you're suffering from a loneliness, you're like, I literally just feel so alone. God wants to break that off you this morning. So if that's you, I really encourage you to stand up. And now Raymond's gonna. Yeah. just want to pray over that. Yeah.
1: We're going to pray. Okay. Yeah. So if you're near
0: that person, just extend your hand or if you're close enough and they're comfortable with you touching them, go for it. We just command all the pulmonary issues to be done in Jesus' name for release of fluid, all the things that were wrong to be made right. We command healing in all those bodies. Yep. Yep. Full order in Jesus' name. Full order. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are doing something miraculous in this room this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for the left hip, for all the pain to leave, for all the tendons, for all the things that attach that, where there has been a misalignment, God, align it in Jesus' name, align it. Yep, and where there has been loneliness, Father, come in. Showcase the beauty of your love and the fact that you are present. Showcase the fact that you are present this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah.
1: If it's a if it's a, a healing issue, something that was in pain, can you test it out? Can you move yeah. around? How is it now? If you're feeling a shift, can you just put your hand up? That there's something different. Yeah. So move is if there's anything different. There's you pain? notice any
0: heat, electricity, uh, anything in so your body? Who
1: raise your hand really quick? If we were praying for healing just now, raise your hand if there's healing in your body that you need, and that there's pain that was there or is still there. Raise your hand. Okay. So not very many people are actually like have pain that they can test out. Okay. But if you do, can you move? And is it different? Go like this if it's different.
0: For the hip, just do an air squat. Just get all the way For down. For the hip,
1: yeah, you've got to do <laughs> Full <something>. parallel. <laughs> Does it feel the same or different? Different.
0: Okay, how different? Okay.
1: So how much pain was it in before? Okay, so it's a mobility. You can't move to this area. Okay, and then... Okay, so you're feeling that mobility different. Praise Praise God. God. Come on.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Jesus.
1: And then what was it here? The hip again. Did did you feel anything shift just now? A little bit. Awesome. So, Lord, increase it. (laughs) Increase it all the way in Jesus' name. Keep testing that out. Yeah.
0: If Jesus prayed twice, we can. You know what I mean?
1: I'll pray eight times. I don't even care. One time somebody got yeah. healed after eight times. I was like, I'll take it.
0: No, I, I'm not sure your name, but I, Chris, Andreas, um, I saw you over here and I saw God put a crown on your head. I feel like God's saying, it's time for you to walk in the identity that I have for you,
1: son. Amazing.
0: Okay. Well, I also have a, um, I got a word for you guys. So, um, when we were driving in today- Are we recording, Viking?
1: I'm forgetful, man. Sorry, play on.
0: Uh, We'll go quick, because I know we want to let Ram have the most time. Um, so, (laughs) um, So I heard mechanism and engineering. So I saw you guys over a mechanism. And I heard God say, they're engineers in my kingdom. And I saw God giving you schematics. And I, and I heard God say, it's the revival mechanism. It's the reformative mechanism. And I saw figurines attached to a floor. You know, when you pay, we call it table uh, table football, but maybe you call it table footy. You know, when you have the metal things on the table, you throw the ball in. And I saw there was these figurines, right? And they were lying flat underneath the ground. And as the mechanism turned, the figurines came straight up. And what I saw was, um, it's as if you're turning the wheel, the mechanism that you're turning, that you have been given schematics to turn, is that which will wake a nation up. And so those people coming up will wake a nation up. But I saw it start here. And I saw, you know, like in the older times where you'd have a bunch of cattle around a circular wheel and they would all walk around it to provide the most amount of energy to either pull water or whatever. I saw you guys around the wheel and I saw other people coming around you guys for that specific reason to help push and pull this mechanism around it's not just you guys by yourselves but those of you who are part of this community who are leaders God's saying you're not just watching them do it you're coming around them to support them in a way where they are not alone in this process of moving the reformative mechanism and then I saw it zoom out and I saw that that what would happen here in this church also then would be that that mechanism of reformative growth was actually happening for the churches in Australia where I saw all the churches in Australia coming around this wheel. But it's because you guys started and you all came around them to actually allow this reformative revival mechanism to actually start turning, to start turning. So i leave that word with you guys, but just be blessed. What is happening here is, is just, it's so cool. But it's like, even in worship, the sense of purity that was coming out was really, really tangible. Because you're not approaching it from an agenda of, of human empire building. You're approaching it from, we just want to see Jesus. We just want to see Jesus. So I'll leave that word with you guys and Amen. off to you.
1: Amen. Um, thank you. I, I will um, do something at the end, I think, not in the beginning, because Steve was like, I have a bunch of things. I was like, okay, great, you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, Awesome. So my name is Rayma. That was my husband, Steve. And then we have four kids and we're all here in Australia for about a month. Um, We live in Atlanta, Georgia, which is weird to us because we're not from the South. If you know the South of America, we're not from the South at all. Um, We actually were in New York prior to this for about 10 years. Um, And so God just moved us down there. And that's a whole nother story that I won't tell today, but um, just a, I wanted you to have a little bit of context, which I'll tell you a little bit of our story. And um, God, we actually lived in Australia for three years. Um, we used to live in Sydney back 20 years ago. God called me to Australia, which is hilarious. Um, I'm actually here on the the anniversary of 20 years since um, God called me. I was 17 years old, sitting in a church service, and God basically spoke to me, almost an audible voice, go to Australia, and I, I literally said out loud, why? <laughs> I had no context, I'd never been there, I didn't know anybody there, nothing, and I am so intense, so that day I basically told everybody, I'm moving to Australia, did you know I'm moving to Australia? I told, I told my parents I'm moving to Australia, they're like, you are? I'm like, yep, go. and four months later, I moved to Australia, so I've always been like this, um, and so we were here, and we met Actually, living here, my husband also had a whole different uh, reason why he came, but we met living in Sydney, and then we got married in Sydney as well. And So, our our uh, covenant, New South Wales, you know, we were, our, our, our certificate of marriage, like anytime I need a marriage certificate, I have to order it from New South Wales to be sent over because we got married uh, in Mossman, Sydney. So, we have a uh, heritage here in a way, you know, it, I always would talk about how I became an adult in Australia you know, like 18 to 22 living in this nation. And um, it's been an interesting thing of God bringing full circle, even um, bringing this nation back on our radar, back on my radar, because we'd been back in America for like 17 years. And about four years ago, I had a really significant prophetic, no, five years ago, had a really significant prophetic word from a prophet um, that's well known in America, which I won't go in too much into the story now. But point is, he gave me this incredible prophetic word and he kept talking about Australia, Australia. And I'm like, what? Like Australia, I haven't been back to Australia in like, you know, forever. And he kept talking about Australia, Australia, God's gonna send you back to Australia. And I'm just like, okay, like talk about New York. That's where I live. Like, tell me about what's happening in New York. Like, you know what I mean? Because we always have a context for what we see and understand right now. But we don't always understand where God is taking us and the bigger picture of what he's doing, which is not just about where he's sending you, where he's sending me, but the bigger picture of what God is doing in general. Sometimes the the, the prophetic word comes so that later when God is actually calling us into things, we can attach to it. We have a frame of reference to understand, hey, I got to step out of that and I got to step into something else. And so that was a part of my story. That still sat for five years before God did anything else with it. So I still was like a little confused. You heard, put it on the shelf. Yeah, I was still like a little confused about that. And it wasn't until the beginning of this year, God said, I'm sending you back to that nation. And I'm like, okay, what does that even look like? I didn't, I was so out of touch, even with like, what's going on in the church in Ashtore, I hadn't been really in touch with, with a lot. And so it was, it's been a very interesting story, but I'll, this, I'm not going to tell you the whole thing. I'll tell you some other stuff today, but surely you can get to know me more over time and Um, God started giving me these prophetic words for this nation starting this year. And so there's been about three different words that I released over Australia. And that was what God used to basically be like, hey, like opening doors and, and building relationships with leaders and stuff like that here. So when God actually gives you a prophetic word, he also backs it up and then does what needs to happen so that those doors will open for you. This isn't just, you know, this isn't about me. But it's to also encourage you that when God says to you, I'm going to do this, he's, he's going to do it. He's going to open the doors. He's going to make a way. He's going to build the relationships. He's going to do what needs to happen for him to fulfill his word in your life. And so, um, yeah, just started kind of leading us back into this nation, both relationally. And now our ministry is also set up here in this nation. Um, and we're doing um, some, some different things. Or holding a conference next week in Brisbane um, which is, again, I'm like a whole nother story. There's like seven things. I'll be like, that's a whole nother story. But anyway, so we're here. And it's a blessing to be here. And I'm grateful to um, get be getting to know you guys and grateful to be invited. Um, it's always an honor to be invited into other people's works and the things that they're doing. And we're all one church. i always been like, how many churches are in the world? I'm like, trick question, one. You know, that's it. That's literally it. Like, there's only one. We like to make ourselves little boxes and little things. But to Jesus, there's one church. So a um, little bit of, of our story, a uh, little bit more of our story rather. So uh, God we used to be real in, you know, we came out of mega church movement, you know, all that. And so after a while, God really pulled us out of that expression. And sat us on the outside for a while. When it, for a long time we had been in the center, we'd been building, we'd been you know building the church and doing things the way we thought was right. And you know many of us have probably come from that sort of background as well. And so God took us out of that though, and then He put me specifically during that time. This is going back about eight years. Put me in a very very intense, humbling season. Who's ever been in a wilderness? They didn't teach me about that in mega church. I was like, I thought I was like, Jesus was supposed to bless me, make me wealthy, wise, like healthy, you know, all this stuff. And then I got put in the wilderness to like deal with my idolatry and my pride and my self-importance. And I was like, oh, okay, I didn't learn about this in Bible college. So it was an interesting season. It was very hard. It was very painful, but it was important. How many of us understand when God puts us in a season of pruning, it's for preparation. And if you jump out of it, you will shortchange yourself and you will shortchange everything that God wants to do through your life. And so we submit to those seasons because the Holy Spirit has to do the work in us. And so I was disentangled from a lot of things over the course of a lot of years, things that I really thought were important, things that I preferred. Sometimes it's not even about theology or it's not even about like, you know, this is right or wrong, but she's like, well, I just like that better, <laughs> you know? And so God would be like, well, have you asked me if I like that better? Have you asked me if I want you to do it like that? And so there was a long journey of what I call disentanglement from religion, disentanglement from the paradigm of what I have grown up understanding, and grown up in, even into ministry, understanding as the kingdom, understanding as you know the important things, the big rocks, you know, if you will. And God began to shift yeah. all of that, and it took time. How many of us understand? It takes time to change. Yeah. It takes time to change, you know. So it's, there's no shame on anyone because it, it's taken me a lot of years to change, but the Holy Spirit is bringing the church on a journey of change. He's bringing us into, you know, we talk about the new wineskin. He's bringing us into a new paradigm so that he can do new things because some of us don't even have a place to put some of the things that God wants to do yet. We don't even have anywhere for it to land. And so God has to change our framework. He has to change how we receive and understand information about him, about his kingdom, about what is him and what is not him. The things that we've absorbed over time that have just become big rocks to us and become integral. And he's like, hey, that wasn't me. That was your culture. That wasn't me. That was the framework you learned. That was what was important to you, but it's not important to me. And some of those things are really difficult to let go of. But there's grace. Again, when when the word of God goes out, I'm doing this, there's grace for it to happen. There's grace for it to take place. And so God took me through a long season, like I said, of just everything being squeezed out of me. I'm telling you, it it was so intense, and I'm so intense, like I said, but it was so intense that in the beginning... I mean, cause, cause uh, like, you know, you think your ministry, whatever my ministry was really like going like this, you know, it was like going up, you know, I was preaching more, I was like doing some stuff and I'm thinking, yes, I'm going to be a conference speaker, you know, and like (laughs) everything's taken off. And then God snatched me back. Nothing. Barely talked to me for like 10 months. (laughs) And I just laid on the floor and screamed and cried and just cried out to God. Like, why are you doing this to my life? And I didn't understand at that point that he had to make me match what he was wanting to do with my life. It was internal, everything that needed to take place. And I hadn't been, the work had to be done. It took time. And so he snatched me back for my sake. We understand that when a tree has too much fruit, it will break the tree. Do you know that? That's why we prune. That's why, when you, when you grow fruit trees, we live in Georgia now, so people are all into peaches there. And our neighbor had a peach tree, didn't really know how to take care of it, and so never pruned it. Well, you know, a couple seasons in, fr- uh, peach trees begin to bear fruit, and it had so much fruit on it that the tree just went and it just split in half, broke right down the middle. No more peach tree. It takes like five years for those things to grow peaches. What a waste! But if you don't prune it correctly, and when you're when you're cutting things off, it's like, dang, that was like really good. <laughs> That's a good thing. That could have had more peaches. And God's like, the tree can't hold those peaches. You better cut that off before it starts growing because it's gonna break the tree off. And so you must, you must accept and endure the pruning of God in your life, right? John 15 talks about apart from me, you can do nothing. When Jesus is talking about apart from, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing, abide in me. He's saying apart from me, you can do nothing of value. You can do lots of things apart from Jesus. I can do lots of things apart from Jesus. But nothing that will endure, nothing that matters, you can do separate from him. And so we must abide in him. And we must allow the things that he wants to cut off to be cut off. And so... For me, you know, it was a lot like Jesus in the wilderness. You know, how many people, you go into the wilderness to deal with your idols. You go into the wilderness to deal, you know, in the, in Genesis, when we see Adam and Eve at the tree, there's three things that Satan basically tempts them with. Okay. Pride, independence, and lust. Pride says, I'll make a name for myself. I'll decide what's right and wrong. Lust says, I'll take for myself what I want, independent of relationship and independence says, I can do it by myself. And so when Jesus goes back into the wilderness, right, when Jesus is called into the wilderness by the Spirit in Matthew 4, he goes into that, into that place to redeem all of the things that we lost so that we could enter into his victory, so that we could be free from pride, from independence, and from lust, so that we could live in a different kind of victory. And so when God is calling us into the wilderness, he's calling us into the victory of Jesus. He's calling us out of the failure of Adam and into the life of the spirit that cultivates that victory in us. So I'll move on from that, because I think, I think we get it. You're like, yep, wilderness, it's good. Don't hate it, endure, right? Okay, so how many of us understand that God is doing a new thing in the church? I don't think you would be a part of this community if you didn't believe that. You probably would just go somewhere where they don't believe that and everything will just stay the same forever. But that's probably not what's happening here because God is calling the church into a new season. But he's reforming us. And like I said, reformation, things to be reshaped, change. It's hard, it takes time, and it's sometimes even painful. And in the Western church, we've made a lot of things central that are peripheral. And we made a lot of things peripheral that are meant to be central. And God is rearranging all of that stuff and he's putting it back in order. He's changing the paradigms like I talked about so that we can even understand some of the different things he wants to teach us. In Genesis 12, um, that's when God calls Adam, or sorry, Abraham, Adam, (laughs) no, Abram at the time who becomes Abraham. So he calls him in Genesis 12 and he says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, what land is that? Well, I'll show you. But before I show you, you have to leave somewhere. You have to leave your country, your people, and your father's house. So some of us, we don't want to leave our culture We don't want to leave things that have been important to our culture. We don't want to leave things that have been important to our communities. We don't want to leave things that have been important to those who have been fathers and mothers to us. But in order to go to the land that he will show you, you first have to leave those things. And you have to totally release them and say, I am willing to let go of my country, my land, my people, and my father's house. I'm willing to release those things in order to go to the new place. And it was after he released those things that God says, okay, now I will bless you. I will make a name. I will send you, right? I'm going to make a whole nation out of you. But first, you had to let go of what I've asked you to let go of. Then Joshua. Right when Israel comes out of the out of Egypt, out of the wilderness, in Joshua three three through four, it says, "When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before." So how do we know where to go? The Ark of the Covenant it symbolizes the presence of God. It was the Holy of Holies. You know, the very presence of God, which all through scripture we are, you know, it's very clear. We follow the presence of God. We follow the spirit of God, the the pillar, the cloud, the fire. We follow him. So when they're saying follow, then you'll know which way to go. It was the same with Abraham. Follow my voice. I will show you. And then with Joshua and the people, he says, I will show you. Follow my presence. So how do we get anywhere that God is going? He has to show us. We have to hear him. We have to trust him because in all cases, there was no idea where they were going other than I'm taking you there. Do you trust me? So there's a journey between where we've left and where we're going. There's a difference also between something foreign and something new. I want to draw a distinction. There's a difference between something foreign to you and something that's absolutely new in and of itself right? When I was in Cambodia a couple years ago, they were like, you have to try this sauce. They do this thing where they put these ants, um, they crush them up and they honestly taste amazing. Tastes like mints and herbal. It was, it was really weird. Blew my mind because I would never expect to eat ants, but they make a pig and then they pour this like ant sauce on it and we're just eating it. We're like, oh, so good. Like, what is the sauce? You know? And they're like, it's ants. I was like, what? (laughs) Like, yeah, you just smash them up, like just raw, you just smash them up, just pour it all over the food, oh God. You know, it's like, you know, then your mental like thing takes, it like kicks over and you're just like, oh, okay, let me pretend like I'm fine with this. But it was just smashed ants, you know? And like for them, they're like, we've been eating this for thousands of years. It's a delicacy. And I'm like, this is disgusting. You know, at first I was like, it tastes great. And then I was like, it tastes terrible. You know, because my mind was like kicking over, like this is foreign. This is not what I do. I don't eat ants. You know, so something can be totally foreign, but it's not new, but it was new to me. It was definitely new to me. And that was my first and last time ever eating the ant sauce. And hey, if you're there, try it though. You know what I mean? It was worth it. It, it was like It's a great story. I've eaten ants. In bulk, I mean just so much like that sauce was really I was like, How many ants did you have to catch? Like, how do you even catch ants? Like, do you just... just a lot of questions, but we're returning to ancient paths. They are foreign, but they're not new. Okay? So many things feel new, but they are simply new to us. Okay, so you hear different things like you know fivefold ministry and elders and priesthood of the believer and you're hearing these different terms and new wineskin and all this stuff and it's just like, whoa, that is so new. It's the new wineskin. It's not new. It's just new to you. And so God is bringing back things that we have lost. He's restoring. There's no, there's no new revelation coming, <laughs> coming out. This isn't new revelation. It is lost revelation that God is restoring to the body. In, uh, in John chapter two, there's a wedding, right? So we all know the wedding at Cana where Jesus does his first miracle, right? So you see that the master of the banquet, Jesus um, you know, has the servants do the whole thing and he turns the water into wine, it's a miracle. He goes and takes it to the master of the banquet and what does the master of the banquet say? This wine is better than what we had at first, right? And then in Luke 5, 37 to 39, it's the famous you know, scripture that everyone quotes about the wineskins, right? No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the wineskins. They'll run out. The wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Here's, here's a verse that used to trip me up though for a long time, didn't know what it meant. Verse 39, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new for they say the old is better. I was so confused by this scripture, but for anybody who drinks wine, how many of us, I'll include myself in there, I drink wine. How many of us understand that old wine is better? Now, if you don't agree with me, you don't drink wine because new wine is not good. It tastes terrible. Nobody wants to drink new wine. And so old wine is the good wine. So in Jeremiah 6:16, 6, it says stand at the ways in the, in the Hebrew and look. It says, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. When it says ancient, the word is olam, it means forever enduring, perpetually existent, the past, the present, the future. It's talking about find the ways that endure, find the things that are old yet new, find that and walk in it because it's gonna bring rest. So when Jesus turns the water into wine, he doesn't create new wine. He creates old wine. The supernatural thing is that it is ancient, but it's been created new. It's new to them. It was new to the people at the banquet, but it wasn't new wine. So we are returning to who we really are. We're not discovering some new thing we're coming back i talk about the ecclesia i know you guys say ecclesia but i actually t- i took greek so it is ek the verb you know ek ek but maybe it's like potato potato or like nissen or something like that but anyway i'm going to say ecclesia because that's what i say so we're returning to a lot of the realities of who we are as the people of god right when jesus says i will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell will not prevail against it he's not talking about Church services. Yeah. He's talking about his called out people who will govern on the earth according to the kingdom of God. Yeah. So that's us. All right. Now we have I, I I talk about three things, right? We've got we've got an identity as the people of God, right? I think identity has been a big one over the last years that we're sons and daughters, we are you know, called by the Father, we're loved, where we're gathered together, God is with us, we're the family of God, right? There's all these things about our identity, who we are. But then we have a function. We have ways that go along with being the people of God. We have things that we do. We have ways we behave. We, we gather, we do this, we have leadership. We do, you know, there's, there's ways that we function. And then there's a mission. There are things that we are meant to do. And so in this season, there's a lot going on in that second step. How do we function? Because if we function correctly, then we can accomplish our mission. So when we look at the Western church, much of our mission is lacking, Right, which is the Great Commission go into all the world, preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out demons, you know, do all this stuff. But we can't really get on with a lot of the mission of what we are called to do because our function is dysfunctional. And so God is bringing our function into order, how we are, what we do, how we behave, how we mature, all the things that make us who we are so that we can go into all the world and do the things in Roman eight and the earth crying out for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed, all of that so we can mature. Yeah. So if our function's right, we're gonna mature into the mission. In Jeremiah one, nine and 10, It says, the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth, and said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and plant. So part of the mission, the prophetic mission, right, and this is a scripture I use a lot about reformation, about reformers, that you are both called to uproot and tear down, to destroy, right, but you're also called to build and to plant. So the difference between critics and people just that just love to observe what's wrong, because a lot of people, we all know in this room, you know somebody who's like, you know, mad at the church or who's like over it or you know who, you know, just left, right? They just, keep, they pieced out and they're just a critic. They're talking about all the things wrong. Yep, no, we all know there's, there's definitely some stuff like dysfunctional about the Western church. Like it's not a secret, nobody's secret. And so what do we do now is really more the question because the difference between a critic and a reformer is the critic comes to destroy and to tear down, but they don't have seeds in their hand and they don't have shovels and hammers. Reformers have to build and they have to plant. And so the spirit of God is not in it. You're functioning from a different spirit if you're not coming with seeds and with hammers because there are things that God is calling us to build and there are things he wants us to plant. We don't destroy without rebuilding. We don't uproot without replanting. That's how God works. But there still are things that need to come down. And there still are things that need to be uprooted. Who's ever done something new on your own. (laughs) How about Ikea? Anyway, so there are instructions, but it is still so confusing. (laughs) Who's ever been like, the instructions literally say this, the hole's not there, right? The tool's not, like why? Like it doesn't make any sense, right? You can do something new. You can even have instructions, but it's still a little bit confusing the first time. We did a kitchen with IKEA cabinets in one of our um, properties that we renovated. And the first one took me like, you know, two hours to put together. But it's like, after that, man, I was like with drill, like, like, I was doing that. I, I timed myself and times like eight minutes. You know what I mean? I was like, by the time I was on like my fourth, fifth cabinet, I was just like, I could build a whole kitchen in like two hours now. Because I had to spend the time though to understand the blueprint. And it takes time. When you're first doing something new, it's difficult to understand, even when you have instructions. And so it takes some time. You know, my, like when we first started uh, eight years ago, God called us out, like I said, of the kind of the church community that we had been leading. And he said, I'm doing a new thing in the church, and I want you to be a part of it. And so at first we said, no, thank you. And then after a couple weeks, we said yes. And so then we started building um, what we didn't even really understand at the time. And it was really hard. I'm not going to lie. It wasn't like, it was awesome. It wasn't awesome. It was difficult. And on a, one time after about like six months, like, We had, uh, I had somebody call me on the phone crying, like just somebody from our little launch team, we called it because we didn't have any other semantics. And so we're like, we're a launch team, you know, because, you know, that's what we did back then. Um, And so this girl, she calls me and she's like crying and she's just like, I just don't understand what we're doing. And I was like, me either. And I was like (laughs) like crying with her. I was like, we don't know either. So I don't know, stay or go, but like, I don't have any other information, you know, it's just like. I don't know. We were like, "What's your vision?" I was like, <laughs> "Follow the ark." <laughs> that's, all I, that's all I have. Um, have you guys ever heard? So in America, we have uh, this. Um, these people, Lewis and Clark, they went exploring. You know, to basically when when America was still wild. You know, they went out to make the maps and expeditions, and so they were going out west. From um, over toward California, right, and so they had had an expectation that when they got to this certain mountain range, that there was going to be a river that would take them into California. And so they're hiking along. You know, they get pretty far away from where they came. They had a canoe because they were expecting that when they get to this mountain range, there's going to be a river there, from previous maps and just whatever else, you know, the limited information they had pioneering this new path. And so they get to the top of the mountain range. Finally, after you know probably years, who knows? And so they get there holding this canoe. There's no river. And so they have to decide: are we going to go back, or are we going to chop up the canoe that we might need over the next range? But if we don't chop up the canoe, we don't have enough wood to get to where we're going. so we're going to have to burn the thing that we thought was going to be the thing that take us into the new. And so are we going to decide, because we have to decide right now, are we going to turn around, or are we going to cut this boat up and use it as firewood? And they chose to cut it, use it as firewood, and they ended up making it all the way. But that's what pioneering feels like sometimes. You're like, I'm really sure there's a river just over, over there. You know. And so I prepared a boat to take us on the river that's right over there. And then you get there, and there's no river, and you have to decide, am I willing to let go of what I thought was the way to take us to the new place. Or sometimes you're cutting up the thing you built with your own hands. And you have to be willing to burn it for fuel. (laughs) It's crazy, right? What a story. What a, what an, like, can you imagine just being there? Like, sometimes I just like go like, like, can you imagine just like, dang, gotta cut this boat up, it sucks. In 2020, God showed me this vision um, and he showed me a wineskin on the ground. This is going back, yeah, like three and a half years. So I saw a wineskin on the ground, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, the wine is gone, John 2. And so then I went to John 2, which is, the, you know, the wedding at Cana, which I referenced before. But Jesus specifically had these words pop out at me, which is when Mary speaks to the servants, and she says to them, do whatever he tells you. This goes back again. This is the, the we are a people who does whatever he tells us. We're not a people who get caught up in the ways that we love things, the culture of our people, all these things. Like, we're a people who follow him. That is literally who we are. There is no other classification for followers of the way, followers of Jesus, other than that we follow him. And so in order to enter into the new, we have to go where he's going. That's it. It actually is that simple and that difficult. Because sometimes to go where he's going, we have to let go of where we were going, which might not be the same place sometimes. When Jesus says in, the, in scripture, we, we read a lot like, follow me. You know, when Jesus says to somebody, follow me, follow me. What he's actually saying, oftentimes in the Greek, is come here. So he's not saying, hey, follow me. Do this. He's saying, come here to my face and come with me. So it's not just to observe and do what someone else is doing, like Simon says, like do this. No, he's saying, come to me. So in order to follow him, we have to come to him. It's not just read the Bible and follow his behaviors and do the things that Jesus did and say the things that he said. No, 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 no. It's intimacy. Come to me that is the prerequisite to follow him we have to come to him in john 14:6 he says i am the way the truth and the life we're following the way jesus We're not following the way, like the methods that we learn. And oftentimes when we think of like, oh, what's the new wineskin? What's the new way? We think of, okay, well, what do we need to change? And how do we need to change up like the stuff we're doing and what's the new structure and all this stuff. And it's not that that stuff doesn't matter, but we have to understand that we are following Jesus. We're following the way. It's actually what the followers of Jesus were called, followers of the way. They first became called Christians at Antioch, but before that, they were called followers of the way. In other words, Jesus himself. He is the way. If we don't have his voice, we have nothing. You have nothing. If you have perfect church services, if the room is packed out, if you have the fake glory because of the smoke machine and all this stuff, you have nothing, nothing. (laughs) and there's a new wine skin but there's also new wine right so the wine skin is the methods and it's the structures and it's you know how do we change what we're doing the function because some of that does have to change some of it we, we haven't gotten you know too great in western culture and that's okay it's actually okay to be like, you know what, God's moved through it, God's done a lot of good stuff, and God is, God is faithful. You see through history with his people, how he weaves himself and works through our, our story, even in our own life, we all see that. I mean, you'd be, there's times I was like, I was in like rebellion, like kinda how I see it now, I was like in actual rebellion, and the Holy Spirit was still meeting me, he was still like showing up, he was still giving me favor, he was, right? And so you see how even when we're not doing everything exactly right, God is still there because he dwells with his people. He's still leading us. He's still bringing us to a greater thing. But sometimes there comes a time where he says, now I want you to stop doing that. We're going a different way. I'm going to change this. I'm going to shift that. And that has to be okay too. But it doesn't mean that we have to dishonor everything that's come before. Just like in our own story, it's not like because I'm like living great now and I'm making good choices and blah, blah. I don't like say, hey, the rest of my life totally sucked and I was a loser. It's like, yeah, you know, I had some things to work on, but God was with me. And he used everything that's happened from then to now to make me who I am, to bring us you know, into resilience, to make us strong. But now he's saying, hey, but I want you to behave differently now. I want you to do something different now. I'm taking you into a new place now. And so it's like we have to see the body of Christ in that way too. We don't just throw away all of our history and be like, well, they got it wrong. Like change everything, you know? It's like, hey, like God is walking with us. He's moving us. We're following him and he's worked then and he's gonna continue to work, but I believe it's gonna be greater. The new wine is better than what we had at first. It's better. You know, we can, we can have all the structures and the stuff and like I said, and, but we don't have the values and the conviction, that's the actual wine. So even in America, there's all these like, um, you know, new micro church movements and stuff. And it's just like, okay, you know, people see that God's doing a new thing. And so sometimes we love to jump on the bandwagon of, um, you know, the new method. Right. Church planters are like notorious for this. It's like the conference where it's like, oh, the 10 steps to making a church five million people in two months. And they're like, oh, you know, go to the conference. And it's like we love to learn the new way. But the problem is you can do a new thing externally and not be new on the inside. But what God is trying to do is shift our internal ish, like our values, our convictions. He's trying to change what we care about. And if he can change our values and he can change our convictions, then we're naturally going to change our methods and our things that we do because our values are different. And so he's trying to build a people that have his values and naturally, our, our things externally will shift and change. Our authority actually comes from our connection to Jesus. I want to talk about, um, we'll talk about the life of Peter in a minute. One thing I'll say first is the new wineskin is about impartation and relationship. So impartation means I possess something and I can give it to you. You can't give away what you aren't. You can't release what you don't have. So there's an authenticity that is required of every believer. It's not like, well, I said the you know, the catchphrase that we say at church, or I did think. Nope, like you have to, you have to carry it. It's, it's there or it's not, right? And so God is maturing us. But then relationship is also something that you can't fake. He's calling us to be a people of covenant where you can't fake authenticity, you can't fake really knowing each other. He's calling us to koinonia. Do you know koinonia? It means to be as committed to each other as you are to Jesus. that That's the kind of intimacy that he's called his people to live in. That is so challenging, especially to those of us who love to come into church, and no offense people in the back row, but you know, sit in the back, not talk to anybody, and it's like, you can't do that. If you want to be a people that are maturing God, we don't go and and disconnect. We have to actually engage. We have to allow ourselves to be known. But even in the knowing, it has to be safe. So we have to create safety for each other to be known. Because when you're known, you can change. You can grow. You can be transformed. None of us can change outside of intimacy. It's true. You can pretend outside of intimacy, we can have connections, like people have talked about connection, you know, I'm connected, let's get connected. <laughs> like, I hate, I almost hate that word. Let's connect. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need connections, we need relationships. Yeah. Because relationship is the thing that will take us into the new and it's the only thing that will sustain you. A connection does not care about you when you're at your lowest point but your family does. We need a family of God. God is removing us from the business mentality, from the CEOs and the org charts. This is not the church that Jesus planted. He is tearing it down. Oh, I don't know if I should go there. God gave me a word. Oof. I wasn't going to, what time is it? (laughs) I don't think... Okay, I'll just, I'll, I'll keep it brief. But God gave me a word in 2019 about um, the Notre Dame, when Notre Dame was burning down. Do you guys remember? So on April 15th, Notre Dame began to burn. And God said, I want you to watch. This is a prophetic sign of what's happening in the church. And so I was like, okay. So, you know, I'm like watching Notre Dame burn. He said, I want you to research the history of Notre Dame. So I researched the history of Notre Dame. And just to keep it brief, again, it was built as a symbol of the pride of France, right, in like 1206, something like that. And in 1798, it was dedicated to the cult of reason, which became later, you know, that was the age of enlightenment. You know, it's like the late 1700s, all of the elites of the church, you know, they're turning their back on the spiritual, you know, supernatural worldview of the Bible and leaning into the intellectual worldview of science and discovery. And like, this is, the, this is a major, you know, time in the church when things shifted, And the religious spirit, the intellectual spirit, became the prevailing thing in the church that you know through your senses. You don't know through the spirit. And so this began to shift in that time. And so Notre Dame was dedicated to that God, the goddess Marianne, who is the cult of reasons kind of thing, which is, by the way, Lady Liberty, which was then donated to be the symbol of freedom over America, which is a whole nother thing. So Notre Dame is burning down. It's a sixth Uh, The roof has six pieces. Six is the number of man in scripture. And so the whole roof burned off. And then the Holy Spirit said, I want you to look at um, what else happened on this day. And so I was like, you know, Google, what else happened on April 15th? First thing comes up, Titanic sank on April 15th, the unsinkable ship. And then the Holy Spirit said to me, "Um, Titanic, the unsinkable ship was built as the symbol of pride. You cannot sink the ship. Well, it sank on its maiden voyage. And the two things, the fire and water, we would know in scripture, fire and water, both are symbols of the, the presence of God, the spirit of God, right? Now fire, as it burns things down, I mean, it's, it's power, right? The power of the Holy Spirit, it can be terrifying and good, right? So we've got the good fire that you want, you know, when you're praying and you're like fire and it's like the good fire. It's like, yes, more fire. Or it's like the fire of God, like, you know, don't fall into the hands of the living God kind of fire. And so there's judgment and there's power. But then the water of the spirit is also, you know, water is powerful. The presence of God is like water. But interestingly, the Titanic sank because it hit frozen water. And do you know that as the ship was sinking, the the captain told the band to continue playing. Keep entertaining everybody as they die, basically. And so God said, Two different kinds of churches are being released from their positions, let's say, in this season. (laughs) One is the church that has dedicated itself to intellect. And the other is the church that has created a showboat of entertainment. They're both going down. And he said, and I'm raising up a people that will follow me. And so there is a reformation that's taking place to, to bring us back to who we really are. We're a people of the spirit. It's not wrong to think. I love theology, I love thinking. I've been to Bible college and theology school and all the things. It's not wrong to think and to know God with our mind. But there's a difference between intellect and the spirit of revelation, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of understanding. God wants to bring us into deeper knowledge than the spirit of intellect. The things that you can learn just by reading Greek, I mean, it's fine, it's good, it's not wrong. But there is deeper understanding that only comes through the spirit. You know, we can have like, okay, we can have an appearance of revival yet still not bring any transformation in our society you know because those of us who are people of the spirit which you know I've been like a person of the spirit since like 2012 you know and like <laughs> God started taking us like into just like radical like personal reformation and revival and like healing and fire and yeah you know all the gold and just like all this stuff and we were just like whoa like fire you know and that's when you really go nuts when God like starts like really like bringing you up into the spirit and you're just like this whole world like God is real like That's how I felt in 2012, because church was just, for me, before that, it was just like, lead a team, build the kingdom, you know? And then in 2012, it was like, legs are growing, like, fire is falling, oil, you know? And it was just like, God is real, (laughs) you know? But then, like, after that, we also have to understand that it's not just gathering in a room and, like, having, like, fire and oil and feathers and whatever. You know, some people are like, whoa, (laughs) feathers? (laughs) Talk to me later, I'll tell you about it. point is he's trying to bring us into a new way of life. You know, the early church didn't have revivals. (laughs) They just like lived like that. (laughs) Like God's been trying to revive us because we keep dying and we have to be like revived. Like the definition of revival is to bring something back to life that was dead. And so we keep like dying off. He's like, hey, wake up, (laughs) get back up again. But he's trying to bring us back into who we actually are, (laughs) like how we function all the time. And so he's bringing us into a revival like that continues and becomes reformation because it's not reformation until it touches the culture. This is the apostolic, the understanding of apostolic people that we're coming into a time where we're becoming an apostolic people where we shift culture where we understand that we are being matured so that we can be sent out. It's not about gathering together and having good church services, it's about coming together so that we can be refueled, refilled, grown up, and so that we can be sent out on the mission of God. Wherever it is that you are, whatever it is that your calling is, God is wanting to grow us up individually. See, the new wineskin requires a totally different kind of personal maturity among everyone, everyone. Which is, we talk a lot about circles, 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 because everyone is facing each other. Everyone is accountable. Everyone is responsible. Everyone matters. There's no one in the kingdom who doesn't matter, there's no one who can just sit back and not do what they're called to do. We all must attain, so in Ephesians 4, it talks about the metron of Christ, the measure of Christ, right? That the five-fold ministry would equip the church that they would grow up into the measure of the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? That together as the people of God, we look like Jesus, but that each of us, as we attain to our own measure, your measure, your measure, your measure, your measure, your measure that as we attain to our measure, we then look like the measure of the fullness of Christ. That we would become the mature son. And that when people look at the church, that they would see Jesus. And that's not just talking about like, you know, serving the hurting and all. Yes, that's a part of it. But that we would look like the authority of Christ. That we would look like the fullness of who he is on the earth. Wherever it is that you're called to be. You know, the shaking that brings glory, it also reveals and collapses things, which we've talked about before, but it is a shaking on purpose. God is shaking the church right now. We've seen that, a lot of empires collapsing, a lot of things changing, it's been unnerving for some. You know, I think God used the last three years to shake things that we didn't even know needed to be shaken, but when God is shaking things, it's so that things that don't need to stand will collapse. And so that the things that are enduring, the things that are ancient, eternal, ever, perpetually existent, that those things would remain. And we would be able to recognize the difference. And so the shaking brings clarity. But the shaking is bringing glory. It's bringing glory. In, um, let me see, I'm trying to think of what do I say, what do I not say. I always have like 500 more notes than I need, but it's fine. Okay. Okay. In Matthew 7, we will go there. This is when um, Jesus says, I'll build my Ecclesia, right? And so he gives Peter this revelation. Really, he's talking to all of them, but Peter's always answering, you know, because he's the spokesperson. <laughs> um, is it revelation? Yeah. No. Is it seven? No. I have the wrong scripture. <laughs> I have the wrong scripture. Where is that? Okay, somebody tell me when he says, you are Jesus, son of the living God. Papa. What's the actual scripture? Is it John? Matthew, yeah, it's Matthew, right? Nine, you said? I'm like, nine, you say? Is it nine? Somebody look it up. 16. Thank you for knowing the Bible, you guys. Okay. Yes, Matthew 16. Why do I have Matthew 7 in here? I don't know. I must have been talking about someone else right there. Um, Okay, so in Matthew 16, 16, when Simon Peter answers Jesus, where he says, Who do you say that I am? And he answers him, He says, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then he says, Blessed are you, Simon, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my ecclesia. The gates of Hades will not overcome it, it being my people and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so he's talking about the authority and the access that comes to the people of God. But there's three things that are really important in this scripture when he talks about the rock. Because when Jesus brings the disciples to this place, he's bringing them to um, Caesar, um, Caesarea, Caesarea, Philippi, Caesarea, yes, Of course, Caesarea Philippi. So he's taking them into basically what they would understand as like the seat of demonic activity in the region. And so they go and they stand on a specific rock. They're on a rock as he's speaking to them. They're standing on a rock. And this rock, I mean, there's a cave there as well, like just the location of where this takes place. And it was basically what they considered the gates of Hades. It was the place, the, the, the mouth of the underworld, if you will. It was like just a dark place of demonic sacrifice. It was a place where, um, you know, when you look at the history of the Jews and all of this, it was a place where um, there's just been a lot of darkness happening in this area. And so he takes them there. And so when he's telling them, when I build my ecclesia, my people, when I call them out, I'm going to set them on this rock. <laughs> The rock of demonic activity, the absolute darkness that's going on in the world. I am going to build them on top of that, and that rock will not withstand them. So we're not on the offensive. We see ourselves sometimes as offensive to the kingdom of darkness. Like, okay, well, or sorry, the defense. We're not on the defense. We see ourselves sometimes where, okay, we got to protect ourselves. We got to keep things in order. We got, you know, like the devil's coming for me again. And it's like, okay, God is wanting to mature us. He's wanting to mature us to where the gates of hell are afraid of you. This is what it looks like to walk in maturity that the rock, right? Cause Peter also, that's when Jesus changes Peter's name from Simon, which means a reed blown around to a rock. That's also when he says, hey, the revelation, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I'm gonna build my church on that revelation. But there's three rocks in that passage. There's the rock of the absolute demonic stronghold of hell in a region. There's the rock of Peter who's a person that he's gonna use. And then there's the rock of the revelation of Jesus. And so he's wanting to use you He's wanting to use me. He's wanting us to carry the revelation that Jesus is the son of the living God, but he's also gonna plant you right on top of whatever the devil's doing, and he's gonna be scared of you because of what you carry and the identity that Jesus has given to you in that place. These are the people that God is wanting to mature us into. You know, God was speaking to me earlier about um, the, the glory that's coming to the nation, and you can watch the prophetic words that, um, that God's given to me about Australia, there's um, there's a few, but one of them specifically was about God. Actually, this is something he told me when I got here, but um, gatekeepers. He was talking about that he's releasing gatekeepers who will protect the word and the song. So a couple of the prophetic words that um, God gave me were about the, the song of the nation. That God was releasing a new song and that it was supposed to be the prophetic song. That the song of the nation had been contaminated, but that God was bringing it back into order through the shaking. But that the prophetic song that's being released is very important, not just for this nation, but for the nations, because it's an inheritance that this nation carries, is to release the song of the Lord. But God said that He's raising up gatekeepers. Gatekeepers understand their authority, gatekeepers forbid and allow, right? In Israel, they would set up gatekeepers. And they would decide what comes in and what goes out. This is the same authority that Jesus gives to the Ecclesia. So when you look at the scripture, Matthew 16, when he says, those people, I'm going to give them the Ecclesia, the keys, keys are authority. I'm going to give them the keys to to the kingdom. Whatever they bind will be bound. Whatever they loose will be loosed. So he's wanting us to be those gatekeepers. But he said specifically that in this nation, there will be gatekeepers of the song and of the word. So people who will say what God is saying and who will sing what God is singing and they're not doing it to perform. They're not doing it for a platform. They're not doing it because they think it's what people want to hear. But it's people who have integrity and who have authenticity and who have no fear of man. He's delivering the Australian church from the fear of man. And he's delivering the Australian church from the pride that the leadership has walked in in this church. Because honestly, Leviathan, with the first word that God ever gave me, he showed me a dragon in the sky and he said, Leviathan is ruling the church of Australia. Now for those who understand, Leviathan is a manifestation of Satan. And the key to Leviathan is to get us, the people of God, especially leaders, to rise up in pride and to lead the church divorced from the head, Jesus. Jesus. When we lead divorce from the head, we empower Leviathan, which is Satan, to rule over the people of God. That's a problem. Everybody say, that's a problem. Jesus is the head of the church. And so any church that's being led in pride is not being led by Jesus. Think about that. So the pride is coming down and leaders are being snatched off their thrones because Jesus is going to be the head of the church again. I just want to pray for some people. Maybe we can have the keyboard come back. Yeah. Matt. <laughs> the keyboard, Matt. I felt like God told me that He was going to impart just that the, the, the come here, the ones who will come here, the ones who will stand. Because honestly, like, there are new leaders that God is raising up in this generation. There are people, you might know them, you might not know them. Some of the, the, the household names, of the church in this nation, they're not going in. They're not going in. And you know what? You can't choose for anyone else. You have to choose for yourself. Do you wanna carry the new thing? Do you wanna carry the new thing? Because I believe that God is going to use all of us. This is not a thing about like only leaders come forward. This is, will I be the person that God has called me? Will I raise up into the measure of maturity? You know, and so that's why God, he's he's moving things around. He's making it so that we really can because so long the structures and the ways that things have been, it has kept people limited. It has kept people immature, but God is wanting a mature son, a mature son in this nation, a mature church that looks like Jesus. And so can we all stand for a minute? I just really believe that God Um, He asked me to just impart that. Impart the ability to stand. Impart the ability to to rise, to let go. Like when I was talking about Genesis 12, to let go of your people, your nation, the, the Father's house. There's some of the things we've been wrestling to release those things. And God is saying, I want you to stop looking for the ways and I want you to follow the way. You've never been this way before. You don't know what it's gonna look like. You don't know what you might have to give up as you enter into the new. But God is wanting a people who will follow regardless. And it takes a company. It's not just one leader. It's not just one person. It has to be a group of people who will go, who will say, we don't know what it looks like, but we're going. We're gonna follow the ark. We've never been this way before. And so I know that God is calling some of you to be um, reformers, to be pioneers. He's given you blueprints and you're like, I don't even know what this looks like, but I know that God has been giving, maybe it's a blueprint for business. Maybe it's a blueprint for a ministry that he's put in your heart. Maybe it's something where you just see like how something needs to shift, like in culture, whatever it is. I just want you to start lining up in the front because we're gonna pray for you and we're just gonna release the impartation of the reformer. And I believe that God is going to put a fire inside of you and it's gonna shift something. For those who have struggled, I don't know how to let go. I don't know how to disentangle from the stuff that I've used to care about. I don't know how to let go and how to fully embrace what God is doing now. And I I don't even know if I like it. For years, I'd be like, I don't even know if I like this, but God has us here. And for some, we gotta lay down our preferences in order to embrace His Spirit. And so I just wanna start praying over people. Can we get some catchers, maybe line up like this, like line up in a, in a line, just one line, and then maybe like people behind as well. Can we move this way a little bit? Steve, can you come and pray too? And then if we can get some strong people just behind them. You guys catch around here, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, so I'll just, I'll start down here and I'll just start praying for people. And if you are, back there and, um, you know, just receive a blessing as well. Like there's, you know, come up or don't come up, but we just bless you in Jesus name. And we'll just end it this way. Just ministering at the front. Do you want to say anything else? Anybody release? Okay. So that he said, that's good. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'm going to, yeah, we got catchers there. Okay. I'm going to put the microphone down and we're just going to go through and just lay hands on people.